Hello and welcome to the Jane and Pete podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hutton and today I'm joined by Dr. Nortina Sharazela from Malaysia. And we're going to be talking about her paper recently published in the JNMP called Motor Neuron Syndromes in Asia. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Tina. Hi, Liz, um, and thanks for having me on the podcast. No worries. So, first of all, Tina, just to talk about your paper, um, the, how does the incidence and prevalence of ALS in Asian countries compare to the incidence found in Western population-based studies? Thanks very much, Liz. So just in terms of um, the review that, that we wrote, um, so what we found is that with the exception of Japan, the incidence prevalence of all the other countries that we looked at within um, Asia actually shows a lower incidence and prevalence compared to Western population-based studies. And um, one of the things that one needs to note, however, is that the existing literature that we've got uh, with regards to the other ASEAN countries, unfortunately, have really arisen from primarily cohort studies rather than true population-based studies. So this, in fact, um, will potentially cause some bias in terms of the data that, that's being presented here, which is one of the reasons really why we felt that it was really quite necessary to do a review of ALS in the ASEAN um, countries, because Asia represents you know, more than 50% of the world population. And um, it is quite important that we try and engage clinicians and researchers in this region so that we can better understand um, the disease process in this in these countries, and also, uh, I suspect we'll be in a better position to address a lot of the shortcomings that we have currently in our understanding of ALS. Your evidence in your paper also describes, um, you know, or suggests rather that the C9 off gene, which is the most common mutation in Caucasian populations. Um, may not occur as frequently in Asian populations. Um, is there any evidence as to why this may be and, and what are the frequently occurring genetic mutations occurring in a, you know, a very diverse Asian population? Of yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, the discovery of the C9 of 72 mutation in 2011, that really led to a fundamental shift in, you know, how we understand the disease, um, in, uh, how we understand ALS now. Um, so while the C9-off is in the Caucasian population accounts for, I think, more than 40% of familial ALS and up to 20% of sporadic ALS, most of the Asian studies actually, this particular mutation is hardly detected. So this is what we've, you know, we've discussed in the, in the review. So to date, in terms of the most common mutations in um, ASEAN studies, this has actually still been the mutations in the SOD1 uh, gene, uh, certainly in countries like China, Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, which have been the four main countries that have done um, quite good genetic works uh, in this area. So why might, might this be? So this is quite interesting, um, and I'm alluding to the article by Plinner, um, man and trainer, and they wrote about the origin and the global spread of the C9 of 72 repeat expansion. And what the authors speculated 
was that the origins actually was likely to have dated back to 1500 years ago to the Vikings. And they also suggested that the um, sort of European invasion by the Vikings was probably what has accounted for the spread of this particular mutation to other European and Caucasian populations. So that potentially is one reason why we don't see the C9-OF72 mutation so much in the ASEAN cohorts, and potentially a similar founder effect could um, actually exist in the ASEAN uh, population, except that as of now, we have yet to identify this. And again, you know, going back to trying to get researchers in the region to kind of work together, and that might might actually hopefully lead us to to um, more you know more frequent uh, occurring mutations in this ASEAN cohort. Asia, of course, is a you know a diverse population from from a very wide geographical region mm-hmm. um, yep. with very different ancestry. Um, your paper suggests that the populations arising from mixed ancestry have a reduced susceptibility in developing ALS. Um, could you walk us through the evidence for this? It's something you mentioned in your paper, which I sort of found quite interesting. Yeah, um, so this is actually, the evidence for this um, was, you know, from the study by Zalvider and colleagues who did a, they did a study on the Cuban population, which is a population that is also quite heterogeneous in terms of having uh, what they refer to as the mixed population, um, as well as whites and blacks. So what the authors did was actually look at the mortality rates uh, from ALS, which gives you an idea of um, the incidence and the prevalence of, of the disease. And they looked at the mortality rates over five years, and they found that the mortality rates from the mixed population was significantly lower compared to the mortality rate from the whites and also the blacks. So that in itself suggests that potentially the disease susceptibility in the mixed population, you know, patients with um, that come from either probably mixed marriages, uh, their susceptibility for developing the disease is likely to be lower. Um, and this is, you know, this is one of the evidence that suggests that um, ethnically mixed population is is therefore likely to have a lower disease susceptibility. So. One of the ways of looking at this is that when you have a population that share common ancestral origins, the likelihood of sharing similar at-risk genes is much higher, um, and that is potentially what one would see in terms of um, a higher incidence of ALS in some of these more homogenous populations. So, I mean, this is, this is one of the possibilities as to, as to where the evidence is coming for this. Um, and as you've said, you know, in Asia, it's, um, it's a widely diverse population. And especially now, there's a lot of migration between countries. So you're likely to have lots of interracial unions, marriages. And therefore, Asia, again, represents a large genetic and racial admix population for us to do further work and, and understand this phenomenon um, much better. What are the differences in management of patients um, with ALS in Asia compared to, to Western populations? 
Um, okay, um, we could probably look at this, uh, you know, in two different ways. So you'll find that in Asia, as I've, I've said before, there are countries, there are developed countries. So for instance, in Japan, in South Korea, and in Taiwan in particular, um, you find that there is a significant difference in the management of patients with regards to utility of the tracheostomy positive pressure ventilation. So I'm going to refer to the STPPV just, you know, in terms of making this much simpler. So you find that you find that utility of TPPV in Japan, for instance, is up to 46%, and in Taiwan is about 21%. So this is very much in sharp contrast to the West, where you find that TPPV is only reported in fewer than 10% of patients. And this was uh, based on a study that was done comparing, you know, the role, um, the practice in Japan and, and America. You find that one of the possibility why there is this uh, sharp contrast is that, for instance, in the U.S., most of patients with ALS quite quickly they are actually referred to the palliative care service and very very early on the issues in terms of end of life decisions and quality of life issues are addressed um, very very much earlier on so therefore decisions with regards to ventilation are actually dealt with uh, at a at an earlier stage however when they looked at um, the practice in japan for instance um, TPPV is actually advocated by the clinicians and also patient organizations. And given that most of these countries, they, they do have um, a lot of support from the government, uh, therefore cost is not really an issue. You'll find that withdrawing ventilation is, is actually, it does receive less support than you would, you would find elsewhere. So that's one aspect of how ALS is, is being managed in, in Asia. So from that perspective, you'll find that in the developed countries like Japan, um, Taiwan, and South Korea, you'll also see a lot more of uh, perhaps, um, you know, not just TPPV, more patients will be on Rilazole and um, and also enteral tube feeding because all of this is advocated by by the patient organizations and also the support that they receive from the government. On the other side of the coin is the many, many developing countries and countries where the resources are fairly limited. Therefore, they don't really have the government absorbing the cost of caring for patients Therefore, in this scenario, most of the costs will be borne by the patients themselves. So in this sort of situation, you'll find that Rilazole, for instance, may not be utilized as much. NG tube feeding and also ventilation is not something that is easily available to patients. So these are issues that, you know, that, that obviously needs to be addressed because as we come to, you know, discover treatment that is clearly effective in ALS, it would be, you know, it would be good that all patients have access, and this is something that patient organizations, um, as well as um, some of the other organizations that deal with ALS can help. Um, I mean, if you don't mind me just sort of like mentioning now, you know, the, the review that, that, that we've, um, we've written uh, in GNNP, 
uh, with regards to ALS in, in Asia, one of the things that is quite apparent is that there is discrepancies between the Asian and the Western cohorts. So this is something that clearly requires further study, um, and it requires us to explore exactly what is causing this heterogeneity in terms of the presentations of you know, the different cohorts in Asia. So one of the ways to try and address this is uh, by working together, and this is really what's led to the ASEAN-Pacific Working Group of ALS clinicians and researchers to come together in 2014 to establish the Pan-Asian Consortium for Treatment and Research in ALS, or what we refer to as PACTELS. So, you know, we're hoping that having such a consortium and working together with the patient organizations within the countries and also the international organization like the International Alliance, um, as well as with other consortia, uh, in the U.S., in Europe as well, the NCALS. So we're hoping that by doing this, we can actually provide um, the member countries in Asia with a platform whereby they can form effective collaborations and be able to participate in lots more research activities. Um, and this is really something that then feeds through to the international ALS community as well. And hopefully we might be closer to finding you know, a better treatment, better care overall for, for patients with um, this devastating disease. I mean, it's, it's certainly something that you mentioned in the paper, you know, sort of need to establish this, this active collaboration and this network yeah. um, between mm-hmm. clinicians and researchers. And of course, as you've just touched upon earlier about um, Asia providing, you know, also a un- really unique opportunity to study ALS um, and the different diversities and the heterogeneous um, presentations and, and things like that. So I think it sounds like Pactals and, and the paper as well really highlight that sort of need for greater synergy, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we hope that, you know, with this moving forward that we can have more member countries being involved um, and perhaps, you know, together as a group, we can actually try and get further funding to try and support countries or member countries where perhaps uh, financial resources are not you know, it's fairly limited, really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, thank you very much for joining me, Tina. That was that was really great. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. That's that's great, and thanks for having me. And um, thank you, Jen and P, for for having this as the editor's choice. No problem. So that was um, Dr. Natina Sharazela from um, the Department of Medicine, Faculty of Medicine at the University of Malaya. Um, we were talking about motor neuron syndromes in Asia.